Join me uh, following along in Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's words for, for us today. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name is John. I'm the pastor here at Wingfoot, and uh, it's good to be gathered with you uh, this morning. Uh, I want to start here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago, uh, the mayor of the city of Akron hosted his State of the City address. Uh, and I don't know if you're clued into those things, if you follow those kind of things, you care about those kind of things, but uh, it's like the, the president does the State of the Union, the governor does the State of the State, and then the mayor does the State of the City. If you want to, you could do the State of your block with your neighbors, I guess. But the idea of this gathering is that the mayor kind of talks about, hey, here are the things that we're thinking about. Here are the things that are important, the, the things that we're going to focus on over the next couple of years. And, and uh, in this meeting in particular, there was a lot of energy because there's a lot of like COVID relief money coming into the city. Uh, and so they talked about some things that were really important on the agenda for this coming year. And one of those things that was at the top of the agenda uh, is probably something that you don't need to be told, something that makes sense to you if you are kind of awake to stuff that's happening in the city of Akron. Uh, and that's the reality of gun violence in our city. Uh, that in the past several years, we've seen this escalate, uh, this rise of gun violence in our city. Uh, 2020 was, uh, I think, the deadliest year in the city of Akron in a long time as it related to gun-related homicide. And, and 2021, uh, we're on pace to surpass that. Uh, one of the statistics that I read this past week said that uh, someone is killed in our, our city by gun violence once every six and a half days, uh, which means that every week we gather, someone else has lost their life. And so this, the city's saying, hey, this is a, a thing that's important. This is a thing that matters to us. Because right? the heartbreaking thing is that it's really affecting our young people. Right? It's affecting our youth. It's teenagers who are being shot. It's teenagers who are pulling the trigger. It's kids who are getting caught in the crossfire. Right? And so this issue is incredibly important, not just to our city, but to our neighbors. And to, should be to us as well. 
But what happens is when you name an issue like that, the next thing that we do causes all kinds of problems. Right? We'll say, hey, this is an important issue in our neighborhood. This is an important issue in our city. This is an important issue in our state or our country. And then the next thing we do is we say, how do we fix it? And as soon as we say, how do we fix it, everyone has an opinion. Right? Everyone has an opinion or everyone has an article or everyone has something that they think would go about and fix it. And what happens is before you know it, we can agree that this is a problem. We can agree that this is a challenge. We can agree that this is affecting our city. And the next thing we know, we dig our heels in and we kind of choose sides and we battle and we throw opinions. And meanwhile, our city is still affected by the issue. Right? We kind of dig our heels in and say, this is where I stand. And so we argue about the issue. But meanwhile, our neighborhood is hurting. Meanwhile, our city is hurting. I say all this because the story of Jonah is going to meet us in a particular place this morning. Uh, because what often happens when we get into those spaces where we're like talking about, hey, here's how I think we could fix it, is as we're throwing our opinions around, uh, oftentimes we also like to say, and God agrees with me, right? Or here's a Bible verse to back that up, or, or here's kind of why you should view it the way that I view it. And Jonah, throughout the story of this book, has assumed that God agrees with him on some things. He has assumed some things about God, and he assumes that God shares the same opinions with him uh, about the issues, and the story of Jonah is about him realizing that God views things very differently than him. He has a different set of values and a different set of opinions than Jonah does, and so Jonah has been on this journey rediscovering the heart of God. Because you see, when we see these issues that are affecting our neighborhood or our city or our state or our country, when we see these issues, if you are a believer in the God of the Bible, if you're someone who has trusted in Jesus, the second question that you have to ask after you see the issue, the second question is not how do we fix it, but the second question is what's God's heart about this? What is God's heart in this issue or in this question or regarding these people? You see, that's what Jonah is discovering is that God's heart is passionate about something. You see, Jonah has made a kind of wreck of his life over the past several weeks in this story. Uh, last week, he was in the belly of the whale, and now he's been spit back up, and he is now given a second chance. And as he now goes to the city of Nineveh, uh, he starts to learn, and we start to learn through this story, what matters most to God. Like, what is his heart? What is God's passion? But you see, there's something really interesting that happens in chapter 3. Uh, one of those things is that Jonah only preaches a five-word sermon, right? And everyone said, amen. Five-word sermon. He only preaches five words. It's five words in Hebrew. And the whole city is transformed. The whole city is transformed. But then the story gives us the whole of the letter that the king of Nineveh wrote. So it's far less concerned with what Jonah said, and it's far more concerned with what the king of Nineveh said. But here's the other thing that's really ironic or interesting that I think the story wants us to see. As if you remember Jonah chapter 1, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, uh, the sailors that Jonah was with, right, they did not know Jonah's God, but by the end of the story, they come to believe in Jonah's God. And they, it actually says they make sacrifices to the Lord God, capital L-O-R-D. And whenever you're reading the Old Testament, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see that capital L-O-R-D, that is a specific covenant name for God. It's indicating that these people now have covenanted themselves to God. They now are, are in, we would say, probably a relationship with God, or they have, have committed themselves to God. That's what happens to the sailors in chapter 1. But in chapter 3, 
that's nowhere to be seen. You see, the city of Nineveh, they changed their course. They addressed the evil in the city, the violence in the city, and yet they don't enter into what we would call a covenant relationship with God, and yet God still relents. He still changes course. You see what happens there. You see, there's a social transformation that comes to the city. The violence and the injustice in the city changes, and yet they don't quite yet enter into a spiritual relationship or a covenant relationship with God, and yet God relents. You see, what the story of Jonah in chapter 3 is showing us is, I think, this, that God is as concerned or is equally concerned with the social conditions of our city as he is the spiritual conditions of our heart. He is as concerned with the social dynamics, the social injustice, the social issues in our city as he is the spiritual transformation of people's hearts. Now, notice I'm not saying he cares about one and not the other, but he's equally concerned for both. And so at the end of the story, the violence that's in every person's hand is, is let go of, and God sees that change, and so he does not bring judgment against that. See, God's heart is for both spiritual and social transformation in our city. And so I want to explore this idea with you this morning, right? Because this is really where Jonah chapter 3 leaves us, is, is this transformation has come to the city, and yet it's not a true total spiritual transformation. And yet God says, this is good, this is what I wanted to see in the city, is that the violence has ended in the city. And so I want to explore with you this morning God's heart for justice. Like, there's violence in this city, there's evil plotted in this city, and yet as that changes, justice comes to that city. And so God says, this is good. And so we're going to explore this idea of God's heart for justice in our city, God's heart for justice in our world, uh, by looking at three things. The first thing we're going to look at is this, the source of justice. The source of justice. The second thing we're going to look at is the significance of justice. And then third, the so what of justice. All right, so first, I want to look at the source of justice. You'll notice that when Jonah comes to Nineveh, uh, he does not present them like with a pro and cons list. He doesn't say, hey, here are the pros if you continue on in your violence and your evil, and here are the cons, and then they change, right? The reason why this transformation comes is because of who God is. The Ninevites recognize Jonah's God. They, they, I, they understand that this God is out there who has a will and, and power, and so it's because of his, this God that this change comes, right? that, that our understanding of justice comes from who God has revealed himself to be. And there are really two core things that we understand from God in the Bible and help us understand his heart for justice. Right. So I want to first look at God's heart. Now, I've got a couple of verses from Scripture I want to look at. Uh, if we were to look at all the verses about God's heart for justice, we would be here until 3 o'clock. But we're only going to look at a couple. All right. So the first one is this. In, in, uh, Psalm, these will be on the screen as well. Psalm 33, 5. This is what it says. He, the Lord, loves righteousness and justice. And throughout the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. That God's love, his heart extends throughout the entire world. He wants to see both righteousness and justice or spiritual transformation and social transformation come into the world. This is his heart. This is his passion. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 says this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. It's a command to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves to understand that people are in trouble and to stand in the gap. Isaiah 1.17 says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, 
plead the widow's cause. This is a proactive seeking of justice, right? Correcting oppression, standing in the gap for people. This is a command of the Lord. Amos chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says this. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You catch what he's saying there? He's saying if righteousness and justice are not spilling out into the streets because of our gathering, because of our community, he says, close the doors on Sunday morning. Cut off the songs. Cut the mic. Because if Sunday morning service is all you do, and yet righteousness and justice does not spill out into the city, he's saying, you're not actually after my heart. This is how important this is to God. And lastly, Jeremiah 29.7. This is to Israel as they are in exile. They were at a city like Nineveh, but not there by choice, there by force. And this is what God says. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its, its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. He's saying this to Israel to seek the good of the city into which you are. Seek it. Work towards it. Earlier, he said, build houses. Right? So contribute to the housing market of the city. He said, plant gardens, contribute to the resources and the culture and the cultivation of the city. He said, give your kids in marriage. Like, build a family in this city. Because as you seek the good of this place, its good will be your good. See, God's heart is for both righteousness and justice, for spiritual transformation and social transformation. This is core to his heart and his passion for our world and for our city. But the second reason behind, the second source of this justice is God's image. Is God's image. That the foundational text of the entire Bible in Genesis chapter 1 tells us that everyone is made in God's image. That is what it means to be human, is God has stamped his image on you. And so every person that you encounter is someone who's made in God's image. And so God cares about both righteousness and justice because unrighteousness and injustice attack the image of God on people. That when someone is trapped in sin, it is affecting the image of God in them. But also when somebody is being oppressed or experiencing injustice, that is attacking and devaluing the image of God. You see, we have an image problem in our world. And that's that our world always wants to devalue people. Wants to give you reasons to, to view people as less than you. Or, or, as, or as not as important as you. Or, or to allow uh, labels or stereotypes on people. We have an image problem in our world. But the ironic thing is that our world is talking about justice. But our world wants justice without God. But here's the thing, you cannot have justice without God. Because the idea of justice or human rights or human dignity, these things are rooted in a belief in the God of the Bible. You see, it is because he says these things, because he says people are valuable, because he says people are made in his image, that justice matters. Otherwise, the justice that we're talking about in our world and our culture is just sentiment. It's just that it feels good, and so we have just all agreed to care for each other, but there's nothing to hang that on. But the God of the Bible says you should care about righteousness and justice because people are made in my image. And so everyone that you encounter, no matter what they look like or they believe, is someone who reflects something of God back to you. See, this is the bedrock for why we should care about justice. is because everyone that you meet is made in his image. So let's talk about the significance of justice then. If, if the source of justice is God's heart and God's image, then the, the significance of justice, I want you to see this, 
Uh, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus is talking to religious people. Uh, and he says this to them uh, in Matthew 23. Oh, I just turned the wrong passage. Matthew 23. Uh, he says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. See, what he's saying is this. He's saying, uh, you've been focused on your spiritual life. Right? You've been focused on your religious life, and so you tithe, right? This is what you were supposed to do. This is, we could say these are good church-going people who are tithing and contributing in the way that God wants them to do. But he says, you have neglected the weightier things. You have neglected the heavier things, the harder things about life, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And notice what he says. Do one without neglecting the other. Care about righteousness. He doesn't say quit church and just go march into the streets. He also doesn't say just march into the streets and don't go to church. He cares about both. He says both matter to the heart of God. But then he says this, you've been blind. You're blinded to these things. You see, I think there are some things that blind us to the issue of justice in our world. At least three things that I think blind us to the issues of justice in our world. The first is this, it's our past. It's our past. What I mean by that is this, in American Christian culture, about 100 years ago, there was a divorce. There was a group of Christians that said, we're going to care about the social issues in our day, uh, but we're not going to care about the spiritual issues in our day. And then there was a group that responded and said, we're going to care about the spiritual issues in our day, but not the social issues in our day. And so they formed these two camps, and they've been battling back and forth ever since. Right? And so depending on which camp you grew up in, you're blind to one of those two things. You either grew up in a, a very socially active uh, kind of Christianity that was blinded to the spiritual things or vice versa. Right? And so this past has told us that to be a Christian is either to be engaged in the social issues or to be focused on the spiritual world. Uh, and yet there's no in-between in these things. Right? So we're blinded to this. That's why one author said that sometimes Christians are, are so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good because right? our, our spirituality blinds us to these things. But the second thing that I think gets in the way or that blinds us to this is partisanship. Partisanship. What I mean by that is there are camps, right? There's a red camp and a blue camp, a donkey camp and, a, and an elephant camp, and, and they play into these issues, and they want you to join their camp, but their camp is all or nothing. But if you believe in the God of the Bible who loves righteousness and justice, you are not going to fit comfortably in one of those two camps, right? Because you might uh, talk to your friends who lean left and talk about some issues, and they might think that you're part of them, but then you're going to talk about some other things that God cares about. They're going to think you're crazy, right? Or vice versa. You'll talk to your friends who are on the right, and they'll think that you're in their camp, but then you talk about some other things that God is concerned about, and they're going to think you're crazy. You're not going to fit because God loves both righteousness and justice, this is why we have to start with this question of what's his heart, not what do we do about it, because God's heart is always going to be right. His heart is always going to be good. His heart's always going to be true, and he hasn't left us guessing on these things. Right, so what's God's heart? Then I think the third thing that blinds us to these issues is proximity. It's proximity. Now, we don't have a lot of close connections to people who are suffering, who are experiencing oppression, who are experiencing injustice. And so it becomes easy for us to just sort of stay in our lane and live our life and, and, and not have real deep, true relationships with people who are suffering or experiencing uh, injustice. We have separated ourselves from these things. But here's the thing. God's heart is for people like this. 
There, there are four people in the Bible that occur all the time that God says he's cared about. Widows, orphans, uh, immigrants, and, oh, sorry, I just thought, oh, I lost the last, last one. Widows, orphans, immigrants, uh, and uh, the elderly, right? Those are the four things that he, he names often, over and over and over again. He said, these are the people that I care about. So if we're going to be about God's heart, right, we're going to move that direction. We have to be proximate to people. And so these things blind us to the issues around us. Right, but here's fundamentally why this matters to the heart of God. Because if God's heart is just, if justice matters to him, it is because of that reason that you and I can experience salvation. That our salvation is wrapped up in the fact that God loves justice. I want you to see this in Romans chapter 3. Uh, this is what God says in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You maybe memorized that verse growing up as a kid, right? It's this call to say all of us are on the outs. All of us have participated in sin and injustice, right? Which is challenging, right? Now we're on the outs, but notice what God does. He says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 26, he says this, it is, it, this was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. What he's saying is this, that God cares so much about justice that he cannot turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. He cannot turn a blind eye to evil, to sin, to these things that break people's lives, that break people's hearts. He cannot turn a blind eye to these. And so now we have a problem. If we've all sinned, now we're all in the outs with God. And so what God does is he introduces Jesus into this equation. Right? So he can be both just in that he punishes sin by pouring that out on Jesus, but at the same time, he can be justifier, which means he makes you right with God by offering you forgiveness and mercy in Jesus. You see, our salvation is wrapped up in God's love for justice. And so if we downplay God's heart for justice, we end up downplaying the salvation that he won for us. This is why this is so significant to his heart. All right, so let's talk about the so what. Right? If the source of justice is God's heart and God's image, if the significance of this is that we cannot downplay this without missing the core of what God has done for us, then what's the so what? See, I want to give you a thought, and I'm going to give you three things, all right? Here's the thing. Uh, we can discuss, and we should discuss, the how of justice, but we cannot debate or argue the if or the when of justice. Right? We can discuss, what I mean by that is this, that there are lots of good thoughts and opinions and, and perspectives on how justice can come in our world, and we should have robust conversations about those things, but if you want to say that God doesn't care about justice, you're not talking about the God of the Bible. And that Christians should not care about justice, you're not talking about Christianity as defined by the Bible. And so we can talk about how, but there's no debate over if, and there's also no debate over when. That God has said over and over again that he wants to see justice now. That's why he, he brought punishment against Israel then, because they didn't seek justice then. That's why he brought this word to Nineveh then, because they weren't living in justice then. And so God wants to see justice now in our world. And he's inviting us to be a part of that. All right, so let's have lively discussions about the how stemming from God's heart. But it's not a question of if or when. So I want to talk about some so what's for you. Because oftentimes in this justice conversation, it's so big, it's so easy to get lost. 
to say, I don't, even know what, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. I just want to give you three things. Three things that will be different uh, about you uh, if you get God's heart for justice here. Right? The first thing is this. It will change what you see. It will change what you see. Uh, that as you interact with people, right, a lot of times we see the things that are different between us and them. We see the things that we're told matter, the things that we're told categories and differences, it will change what you see about people if everyone is made in God's image. That, that means that the person that you're encountering, no matter who they are or where they come from, is someone who's valuable to God. And so you, you will see their worth, you will see their value, you will see their dignity because God has declared that that is true of them. This will also change how you see some of the issues in our day. That oftentimes we go to the how of the issues and the challenges in our community, in our country, and the, the answers that we have forget God's heart for people. Right? That God is, is heartbroken over the images that he's seen in Afghanistan, right? that we've seen over the past week. His heart breaks for the brokenness on our streets as we see gun violence. Right? But if our how answer neglects or downplays the value of people, then that's not a how answer that God would be about. Because God's heart is for people, and so it will change how you see people. The second thing that it will change, it will change what you say. It will change what you say. It will challenge or critique uh, the things that you say about people, especially people who are different than you, especially people who disagree with you. It will change what you share online. Uh, spoiler alert, online is still like a space, right? So the things that you share, the memes that you share, the articles that you share, all these things that you share, like that's still part of what you're saying, right? So the things that you share, the things that you say, if you get that God values people like this, it will change what you say about people. It will challenge and, and, and confront you and maybe some of the racist things that you said or the stereotypical things that you said or even the way that you talk about people who disagree with you because even people who disagree with you are made in God's image. And so it will change what you say. The third thing and the last thing is this. It will change who you spend time with. It will change who you spend time with. That the emphasis of Jonah chapter 3 with all the ink that is given to the king of Nineveh, it tells us that God cares about this guy's voice. He cares about what this guy has said. He, he records that for us because his voice matters here. Right? It means that this king had a part to play in the transformation of his city. And so if we understand God's heart for these issues, it will change who you spend time with because the person that you are spending time with, the person who is different than you, who looks different than you or believes different than you, they might have a part to play in God's plan that you can't see. And if God's heart is for people like this, then as you follow God's heart, it will lead you to spend time with people who are different than you. It will lead you to spend time with people who are oppressed, people who are hurting, and not just in a I'm going to hand you something kind of way but in a real deep relationship kind of way. That if God's heart is for people like this and I follow God's heart, that's where it's going to lead me. You see, this is God's heart. This is why he cares about Nineveh, this great city. Because he wants to see life and flourishing come to it. And so he's going to confront the evil, confront the injustice, and he wants to see that social transformation come. Because he cares about both our spiritual transformation and our social transformation. So let me pray for us this morning. God, your heart is for justice and righteousness. We confess even in this room that probably some of us care more about one of those than the other. 
Uh, we're more passionate about one of those than the other, depending on our politics, depending on how we were raised, depending on all these things. God, would you show us the areas in which we've been blind? Would you show us the areas in which we have uh, perpetuated stereotypes or even racist imagery or all these things in which we devalue people? God, would you break our heart for people who are made in your image? Break our heart for the images that we see on TV of people who are hurting. Break our heart for our streets and our cities uh, that are, are affected by violence and drug addiction and broken home, all these things, God. Your heart breaks for those things, and so break our heart for those things too. To respond into these places as the hands and feet of Jesus who is broken for us, allow us to respond in the same way. It's because Jesus came to us and justified us that we are saved. And so, God, we trust in your heart to lead us and guide us into these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.